Is this mic working? Great. I actually never used one of these before. I've got a funny thing with my ears, but I'm walking in freedom. As in when I say a funny thing with my ears, I mean I don't like things being touched around them. So this is me walking in freedom. No, this is good. Yeah. Just a little sort of weird overshare to start. Um, Good morning, everybody. I'm Pete. It's great to be here, but I am struggling with this staying on. Technology makes things easier, right? All right, slick beginning. Yeah. Let's just open our hands. Close your eyes if you want to. Let's just um, try and open our spirits up to what's going on in the unseen right now. Not necessarily your feelings or your thoughts or your cell phone notifications or, or anything, just what's going on in the unseen over us and around us. Holy Spirit, open our awareness to your activity in this place. Open our awareness, Lord God, to the plan you have for us in the next little block of time in our earthly existence. We welcome you here, Holy Spirit. Just feel that presence of the Lord come. Just feel the peace in this place. Feel the safety, the comfort right now. He's here. Thank you, God. Come and rest on us and burn in us this morning. Amen. It's great to kill holy cows. We know that, I hope. I don't know if that's what you knew was going on when people were standing on the pews, but we were killing holy cows. Holy cows make the best burgers. (laughs) And it's not mocking tradition. It's not mocking the God of order either. That's often the thing that gets said, well, God's a God of order. Yeah, but whose order? Middle English, Amisham order or the order of heaven? Think of it this way. And this is just something to start with. This isn't an attack. This is more of a reflection. This is me learning as I go. I heard somebody say, if you go to a maternity ward in a hospital, there doesn't look like a huge amount of order. There's quite a lot of loud noise and mess. But there's a heaven of a lot of life being birthed. Compare that with a graveyard. Nice, neat rows. Cut grass. Order. 
and not a whole lot of life going on. And so it seems to me we have a choice between the potential mess that birthing life brings or the order that tradition and ultimately death in the physical brings. And you, we have that choice every day. I'm not talking about getting wacky and weird for the sake of it, because that's actually religion. That's form without substance. The the passage that Laurie gave me that I'm probably not going to reference, but will reference now to uh, keep whoever happy, <laughs> is that 1 Corinthians 4, isn't it? The gospel is not a matter of talk, but of power. Not a matter of words, but of power. Paul said, I came with you, not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And so that's the prayer today. Not that I would stand here and inspire people with stories from the mission field in this sort of colonial conception of Christianity. We send people back out to the front line and that's not it at all. The gospel is bearing fruit all around the world in Manenberg, in Amersham, as it is in heaven. And it's hitting the kingdom of darkness and forceful people take hold of it, Jesus told us. And so the point is, really, for us to learn how to follow Jesus together. And it'll be killing holy cows wherever we are. So if you felt, ooh, people are standing on the pews, I'm not saying I noticed anyone feeling that. I'm just saying if you felt that, that's fine. And you know what? That's wonderful. Because that's an area to say, Lord, this is just what I grew up with. That's just what I learned. And it feels sacred. And if it isn't, then show me. Because I would rather spend the rest of my life following you in the equivalent of a maternity ward than in a graveyard. Amen? Amen. Great. We're English, we love to talk about the weather. The weather's prophetic today. I was just in a church in Dubai, I arrived this morning, and um, I was in a church in Dubai where they'd been meeting in a huge warehouse um, outside the sort of city limits. And it's a, a, it's a whole thing. They've had to register as an events company uh, so that, you know, for various reasons, as you can imagine. And um, they've been running the whole thing on diesel-powered generators. So you're meeting in a warehouse in a friggin' Dubai desert. You imagine how hot that gets. You've got diesel generators uh, 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 fueling these huge aircon machines and uh, air conditioners. And um, this week, they got electricity installed for the first time. And it was no surprise to me that the week they got electricity installed for the first time, the Holy Spirit broke out in a new way through a friend of mine who was ministering there. And he said, you know, have you ever put uh, 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 your finger in an electric socket? (laughs) Right? Is there any coincidence that what we saw going on the last couple of days was pretty messy? The aisles uh, uh, were full of people slain in the Spirit. In a way, I'm going to be honest, that was actually brand new for that church. And it seems to me that God is being prophetic in signs. We need to discern what's going on and um, I've heard that uh, it's been a bit rainy and gloomy in the last few days. Yeah? Last few months. But this morning, 
It was really rather nice, wasn't it? The sun's gone in a little now, but I felt God say that he's, he's turning the rain and the gloom of the past season. And today's represents the sun and the spring flowers for some of us, for some of you who have felt really under a cloud. And so if that rings true, if, if I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to try and activate these words as we go. If that rings true, if there has been an element, I'm not talking about oversharing here, I'm just talking about if for any of you, uh, it has felt like you've been really struggling, really under a cloud, going for a jog and knee deep in water with the wind coming against you, trying to follow Jesus, but the elements seem to be pushing against you. But if what you would love is some spring daffodils and the warmth of the sun shining on you, if that's you in your season of life, would you stand? There's no pressure to stand because others are, but if that's you, then stand. Great. If you are not standing, then I would like you to, if you're next to someone who is, lay a hand on them, minister to them, because this is not about someone at the front coming with some kind of hocus-pocus anointing and blasting everyone. This is about the priesthood of all believers all getting to play. Okay? That's Luther and Wimber together. So lay a hand on someone. Right? Lay a hand on somebody. If you haven't got someone right next to you, then, um, then reach out. But we want everybody who's standing, everybody who's been feeling a season of slight gloom, heaviness, darkness, just hitting up against some of the, the wind going the other way. Lord Jesus, as we, as they stand and pray, and as we lay hands as you command us to in the Bible, we declare right now, breakthrough, we declare spring flowers rising up in hearts, in minds. Lord God, we just pray for that cloud. We just speak to that cloud overhead. And we say, in Jesus' name be gone. In Jesus' name, that storm that has been created internally, it is becoming blue skies and daffodils. We see spring. We see life birthing, Lord God. Bring whatever mess you want to bring that will, that will birth life in these people. And we declare today marks the beginning of a new season in everyone standing for your glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please sit down. The second thing I've heard is that it was snowing the other day. Is that right? Who opened the curtains and there was snow on the ground? And if you've just got up and you're looking at snow, you almost, I don't know about you, but you almost kind of squint, right? Because it's so bright. But what happened to the snow by mid-morning? We were singing, the blood of Jesus makes us whiter than snow. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and said, yeah, but... Some people feel like that snow they've had recently. They have been made whiter than snow, but by mid-morning, that whiteness, that purity is gone. And so this is potentially a more vulnerable one, but I would like to, for us to pray for anybody who, who knows that they are saved, who anyone who knows that they have been made clean, who knows that the blood of the Lamb has cleansed them, but maybe right now isn't necessarily feeling that who feels maybe, oh, that was then, but actually, if I'm honest, I feel like the, the mid-morning sun has, uh, has melted the snow. I feel like, actually, I may have gone back in my own mind or in my own sense of identity from that time where I really felt he's made me whiter than snow. If you feel um, like that's you, and if you feel confident enough to stand in this safe place, would you do that, and we're going to pray for you as well.
Thank you. Thank you so much. We're going to pray for you now. Will you reach out hands to these dear family members? Lord Jesus, we declare that you are the lion of Judah. You are roaring at our battles. And we declare that you are the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world to break chains. And so we speak over each of our brothers and sisters standing now that you are, in Jesus' name, washed by the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' name, heaven sees you right now as whiter than snow, set free, forgiven. The weight of sin is lifted in Jesus' name. And we speak right now into your mind that it would be renewed and transformed as you agree with what the Holy Spirit is saying, what the angels are singing, and what Jesus died so that you would take up. We release that over you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always a joy to come back here. Um, I was chatting to someone recently and they said, I, I will go back places where I know that um, not only that I'm welcome, but actually that I can see that people are putting into practice as opposed to just going, getting a generic pe- uh, preach from Pete and then life goes on and it's a sort of transactional thing that we do on a Sunday. Uh, my hope is that as we share what's going on in Manenberg and as we navigate some of kingdom life back at home for us, that that would encourage, it would strengthen encourage and comfort. That's a spirit of prophecy over people who would say, actually, I'm longing for the same thing, but in Amersham. But surely the stories from Manenberg can't relate to Amersham, can they? Surely they can. Surely they can, and vice versa. Laurie was telling me that um, some people are prayer walking, or have been prayer walking. Is that right, or is that just you, Laurie? It wasn't you telling me that. No. Has anyone been prayer walking? It has happened in the past, but not recently. But yes. Okay. Great. Um, sorry. Okay, sorry, I thought that was going on. Well, <laughs> maybe you're telling us it should be going on. Right? Maybe that's a prophetic word for you guys. <laughs> God can use anything. Absolutely. As we begin to push forward in our own identities and break through the darkness, personally speaking, as we do that collectively as a church, which you are doing with the big plans for expansion, right? I do think it's a prophetic word. I'm going to go on my mistake and turn it into something prophetic. And that is, I think, in the spirit, to be pushing back just ones and twos, not in some sort of flag-waving, sort of ribbon, whatever, through the high street necessarily. Maybe that, maybe that's prophetic. But, but just, you can, you can be normal in prayer walk as well. And just, just going and praying around the land, going around the houses, um, along the streets, and just quietly bringing blessing, quietly bringing life, quietly declaring the silencing and the destruction of whatever Satan's schemes are. That's why Jesus came, to destroy the works of Satan. Not very PC, pretty punchy. And that's what we're called to do in delegated authority. Okay. I'd like to give a couple of words. Um, You, sir, in the second row. Um, Could you stand? Um, I'm stepping out here.
because I've been hanging out with a guy who's probably one of the most prophetic guys uh, I know in the last two days. And one of the activation exercises, he said, was go and give prophetic words to people that you see. So I'm stepping out. I just got one wrong and turned it into prophecy. I'll try again, <laughs> right? But this is the thing. The, the spirit of prophecy, really, the, the currency God speaks is sonship. It's not accuracy, it's sonship. And it's not even just risk, it's love. I'm really hot and I'm kind of sweating. It's, I don't know if I got anything right necessarily. All I know is that God marked you guys out just to speak something of his love for you and his destiny and some of his original design for you. And so I hope that's a blessing. And I hope you can see that I'm not some expert at this, but that as we step out and as we speak to people and as we hear God and speak it out, hopefully that brings blessing, right? Um, I've got a friend who sometimes when I walk with him, he's very prophetic. And he, he'll walk and we'll, I don't know, we'll go into a, a shop and he'll just go up to someone. Okay, sorry, um, hi, this is my friend Pete. Um, he hears God really clearly all the time and he's just got a word for you. Can he share it with you? I'm like, he goes, go on, Pete. And if you don't know what to say, Start with things that are generically true. You are loved by the Lord. You are a daughter of the King. He's got plans to prosper you and not harm you, give you hope and a future, right? And as you begin to do that, the generic identity words of what it means to to, to be a person made in God's image, the Spirit begins to breathe on it and He'll begin to reveal stuff to you. It's something I'm learning to do and if I'm honest... It's the safest place to do it right here. The rubber hits the road when I hit the tube this afternoon and see what happens. Okay? Anyway, that's just a personal exercise for me training myself. Learn. Thanks for being guinea pigs. The question I've got for us today Well, I've got a question and I've got a, I've got a couple of words. The question is, what are you going to do with your pain? What will you do with your pain? I've been in, living in Manenberg 11 years. In the last three day, uh, in the last month, I've been to Hong Kong for two weeks. And, uh, uh, um, in the last week, I've been in Dubai and now I'm here. I, that's not a normal month. But what I can tell you is that in Manenberg, and in Hong Kong, in Dubai, and, I imagine, in Amersham, people are dealing with pain. A guy called um, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow said, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each person's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. Which is ultimately saying, we have no idea what anyone's going through, so be kinder than you think you should be. And if we begin to see people through the eyes of Jesus, we will know that there's no difference between a Dubai CEO and a Manenberg drug addict. Obvious physical differences, but in the spirit, both are created in God's image, and both are trying to answer through their lives, whether they know it or not, what will I do with this pain I feel? Everyone's carrying pain. 
In the, in the last week, I, uh, uh, a, a dear friend of a friend died at the age 31, uh, an entrepreneur in Addis Ababa, killed um, in a car crash. Had a huge effect on many people in, uh, around my age. Killed in a car crash. No reason. I don't know what's going on. Or I, um, in Dubai recently, hearing of two quite prominent people in various churches whose marriage are on the rocks through unfaithfulness and uh, affairs. Or thinking of uh, friends back in Mannenberg struggling with anxiety and panic, panic attacks. Wherever you go in the world, there is pain. Now, I'm not saying we have to focus on that. All I'm saying is we need to admit that pain is a thing and we need to know that if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to transform your pain, guess what? You'll end up transferring your pain onto people or projects or things or into compulsive behaviors, lies or addictions. You have two options with your pain. You have two options with any of those things from your past or even your present that are assailing you or have actually affected you in a sub-kingdom way. Either you can transfer them onto others and create mess and more pain or you can submit them and yield them to the Holy Spirit and allow the Father to transform them. And you know what? In God's highest compliment to each one of us, he will not control you into doing anything. Free will is his highest compliment to each one of us. So each one of us has got a choice. Will you transfer or will you transform? Put it another way. Hurt people, hurt people. Free people, free people. It's not just a pithy phrase. I believe it's a deep kingdom truth. And when we get saved, when we get born again, when we receive Jesus' gift of forgiveness and say, yes, please, I want new life following you, whatever that looks like, because at the moment of decision, we often have no idea really, do we? When we come into that, salvation is an event followed by a process. I was saved on the 18th of August 2000, at the age of 15, I was an insecure 15-year-old, trying to find love, trying to find meaning, trying to find affection and affirmation in all the wrong places. I, that event right there, that day, 18th of August 2000, age 15, in my bedroom in Seven Oaks, that was then followed by a process that continues even to this day. That's called, in posh Christianese, sanctification the process of becoming more and more like Jesus as I yield to him the pain or the sin in me as his Holy Spirit reveals it to me in his perfect timing. Okay? So it's not about, oh, I need another freedom prayer session, you know, fill me up like a sort of spa treatment. That's not it at all. That's abusing it. But it is saying, Lord, search me and know me. See if there's an offensive way in me. Right? That's the prayer of David in Psalm 51, was it, after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba? Now you might say, well, I haven't done that. Sure, but we still, why would we not want to say, Lord, search me and know me. Show me if there's any offensive way in me. I want to be more like you, Jesus. Some of you will know that Sarah, my wife, and I uh, have been living with gangsters and drug addicts in a township called Manenberg in the eastern suburbs of Cape Town for the last 11 years. Um, some of you will know that uh, when we were last here, standing literally here, uh, 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 trying to um, 
flogged my new book at the time. Um, and <laughs> there was more than that. I did feel a bit like David Brent on the road, just walking around with your wheelie bag, sort of trying to persuade people to buy something. Um, but um, we stood here, and somebody asked us a question. They said, what do you need? If someone said, what do you need? What do you need? And I said, we need a block of flats. And I stand here today, essentially six months later, eight months later, being able to tell the testimony that those block of flats belong to Tree of Life. And we have received, hallelujah, money to renovate them. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? So I, the, 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 the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Amen? It's in Revelation somewhere. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What that means, the testimony, the stories we tell of the goodness and faithfulness of Jesus release a spirit of prophecy over anyone whose heart is like, oh my days, that's exactly what I need. So stand up if what you need is breakthrough in either growth for uh, your business or uh, uh, some venture that you're involved in or if you're believing God for provision for property. Will you stand? Anyone? And you know what, even if you're saying, I want a nice little house in the south of France, you know what, that's so bourgeois and it's totally fine, because God <laughs> loves blessing his children. You don't need to feel guilty. So Lord God, put up your hands, raise your hands right there. Raise your hands. Lord Jesus, I declare the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy over each one of these people standing. And I speak breakthrough right now in Jesus' name for everything that they're believing in their hearts for. If it matters to you, it matters to God. And so I declare that He gives good gifts to His children. He does not withhold goodness. You are privileged because you're a son or you're a daughter of the King and He loves you with an everlasting love. So thank you, Lord, in advance for the testimonies of provision and breakthrough that we're going to see from this morning as we release that spirit of prophecy. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things Sarah and I have learnt uh, living with gangsters and addicts is that basically we're gangsters and addicts as well. Um, I'm a gangster and I'm an addict. I break rules, I do things when other people are not watching that I'd be ashamed of if I had a video of my life. The, the stories I tell, generally, are better than the life I live. Why? Because I'm a hypocrite to some extent. I'm a fraud to some extent. But what I will say is that I'm a genuine fraud. Okay? I said that to somebody. He said, no, you're not a fraud. You're, you know, you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, brother. I said, sure, but if you could only see what I'm thinking about you right now. You would... <laughs> You, I didn't say that, I was thinking that. But it's exactly my point. And so living with gangsters and drug addicts has been God's greatest gift to us because we have begun to see our much more polished brokenness and pain come up in a way that living with someone who's been abused, lived in poverty, neglected, fatherless, mothers struggling with diabetes and unemployment, cousin got them smoking crystal meth at the age of 12, and now they're in a gang stabbing people to, for their next fix. There's obviously quite a lot of layers of brokenness going on there. And they're not very good at polishing it. Praise God. And I can learn a lot from such people. 
I don't know if I've ever said it to you before. It's a pretty gross image, but just stick with it for a sec. If in my hand I had a fresh, steaming, hot turd, I can try and polish that thing all I want. But what's that going to do? It's going to create even more mess. You cannot polish a turd. You can string fairy lights up around it and pour glitter on it. You can do whatever you want with it, but it's still gross. And that's what we try and do with our sin in Christian church circles often. We try and make it socially acceptable when ultimately we just have to flush it. It's the only thing you can do with it. And that's the difference between transforming or transferring the brokenness and sin in us. Can I get amen? Ish, yeah. <laughs> I said turd in church. <laughs> but one of the things that we're learning is how to deal with disappointment. Suffering and disappointment are part of the narrow path. So often, and I heard uh, someone say this a couple of weeks ago, so often we say, we want more power. We need more power, more breakthrough, more power. And they said, we pray for more power, but we never pray for more of the cross, often. And she said, the irony is, where does the power come from? (coughs) From the cross. And so if we want some glory power encounter with God, but we're unwilling to walk the sacrificial narrow path that Jesus did, or even the giving up of our lives, then good luck praying for more power. And so we're learning to deal with disappointment, suffering. You are, when you suffer, you're sharing fellowship with Jesus. You know that? And it says that you might share in the sufferings, that you might also share in his glory. Embrace suffering as a gift from God. Embrace disappointment as a wonderful way that God brings up some of your orphan-spiritedness, some of your comparison, some of your sense of feeling a complete failure, some of your sense of feeling totally lonely, And I'm just disappointed again. I've been let down again. And the Lord, in his love, will say, my son, my daughter, that was never my plan or my will for you. But give it to me and I will transform it into something you couldn't even believe. Don't transfer it onto your friends, onto your work life, onto the way you drive, that's me, onto whatever else it is. Give it to me. We all have to work out what we do with disappointment. And one of the disappointing things that happened for Sarah and I after we got back to Manenberg on the 2nd of January this year was that we found out that um, there'd been a whole lot of stuff going on with the young men that we were working with and who lived with us. Uh, I can't go into details, but ultimately laws were being broken, uh, deceit uh, and lying was going on, and there was a whole lot of dysfunction that um, came up. And I thought, oh God, we've just bought a block of flats to multiply this and grow it. We've just done a fairly public crowdfunding campaign. I thought 2020 was all about these young men becoming leaders and leading the next intake into freedom. I thought it was about trebling our uh, physical impact in a community And it hit all my buttons around feeling like a failure, feeling like a fraud, feeling disappointed. What's the point? We've been doing this 11 years. What have we got to show for it? 
I don't know if that rings a bell with anyone. There's a guy called William Carey who went to India as a missionary a couple of hundred years ago. And his wife got dementia and his daughter died of dysentery. And he gave his life to translating the Bible from Tamil and Urdu and Bengali and all these other languages alone, just plugging away. And one day the warehouse in which all his manuscripts were located burnt to the ground. Decades of work, his wife and his daughter, both casualties of this calling. And he started again. And he began to write these manuscripts again so that those who didn't have a Bible could come and believe in Jesus. And later on, he's actually still to this day got a university training thousands of Christians in India, named after him, multiplying mission across the world based on his efforts. And you know what? When it came to the end of his life, they said to him, what have you learned? He said, speak not of me, but speak only that in my disappointment I learned to plod. It's not very tweetable. (laughs) Not particularly feel good. Me and my destiny. Me and my calling. Me and my anointing. But this is what God's teaching us in this season. Because my goodness, my flesh and my mind was disappointed. But I realized is that disappointment can can be God's greatest gift to us if we see it through the lens of his goodness. If you can view every disappointment in your life as a glorious redemptive opportunity for the good God who saved you out of sin and death, then my goodness, multiply those disappointments because there's a harvest on its way. Amen? We're going to have a little look. Oh, um, well, C.S. Lewis puts it well with this. Put, think about it like this. He basically puts everything pretty well, doesn't he, C.S. Lewis? <laughs> he says, a sum, speaking about maths now, a sum can be put right, but only by going back till you find the error and working it afresh from that point. Never by simply going on. Evil can be undone, but it cannot develop into good. Time does not heal it. Do you get that? The biggest lie I felt when I thought, oh my goodness, what do we do when all this stuff um, hit the fan when we came back in early January was, oh, but the show's got to go on. What have we got to show for it? We can't do this flats renovation if we haven't got anything to show for it. What do we do? And I felt God say, I think you need to close Crew 62 for the foreseeable future. I said, I can't do that. What will they think in Amersham when I go and preach? And we say, we haven't even got anything. It's not a reflection on you. That's a reflection on me. What will people think when they say, oh, how's you doing with the crowdfunding money? Send us a picture of the flats, won't you? Or can't you bring us a nice encouraging testimony of one of the guys getting free who lives with you? No, we've thrown them all out. (laughs) We've closed. I saw a friend from university who was on holiday recently in Cape Town. He says, how's it all going? And I said, oh, we closed it. She goes, how many guys have you got then? I said, zero. She goes, how long have you been there? I said, 11 years. She goes, that's taking a long time, isn't it? Right? I mean, she's right. She's right. It is taking a very long time. (laughs) But what about this? The process precedes the promise. And the length of the process is God's highest compliment to you because he's getting you ready for the weight of glory that the promise is coming. 
And here's the other thing. The prospect of the righteous is joy. Amen? Amen. The prospect of the righteous is joy. Or, the longing deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a? Tree of life. Hello? (laughs) So God already got there thousands of years ago. He will fulfill your longings. Just better than you think. At the moment, what we're doing, we spent two weeks in Hong Kong, sitting um, really at the foot of a lady called Jackie Pullinger. Adam at the back um, was also with us. He's, Adam was standing here back in, when was it? June. And Sarah stood him up and said, um, young man, um, uh, God's saying to you very clearly somewhere that you need to go, and he's reminding you tonight that you need to go there. And so he came up to her at the end. He goes, um, God's been kind of saying I need to go to Manenberg. <laughs> In about, in, I don't know exactly your arrival date, but next month, right? Uh, next, week. next week. Brilliant. <laughs> Adam's coming to Manenberg next week. And that was a prophetic word given roughly on the third row there in the middle. So Adam came with us and we sat listening to Jackie Pullinger tell the story, essentially, of the last 55 years of learning to plod and telling the stories of heartbreak when her mother came to visit her on Christmas about 10 years in and wondered where all the brothers, they, they call the addicts their brothers, uh, where are all the brothers gone? And she realized they're all shooting up heroin in the toilet during Christmas lunch. The one time her mum came to visit her in Hong Kong. And as you go there, you've got accommodation of hundreds, hundreds of at-risk girls, of addicts, of new boys who are these toothy old 60-year-old guys wearing a pair of pyjamas because you wear pyjamas for, te- uh, for 10 days when you walk around and detoxing, getting the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, getting saved and becoming new people. Absolutely the most beautiful and lasting work of the Spirit I think I've seen ever. But she said, the re- you look around here and you can compare yourself to this. She said, this is a result of us putting one foot in front of the other for 55 years. And the day when all the girls uh, working as prostitutes who were full in the house all left and we wept, or the day they slathered feces all over our youth group, or whatever that, she said she looks back and she can see time after time after time, if you don't give up, you win. Turn to the person next to you and let them know, if you don't give up, you win. Just tell them that. Fight the good fight is the biblical way of saying it. So think about C.S. Lewis's quote to go back to that. Evil, a sum can be put right, but only going back until you find What's went wrong, right? I'm no mathematician, but I do know that if you, if I, so if I say, um, what's, um, who feels confident enough to do basic maths in front of people? Don't want to put anyone on the spot. Okay, we'll do it together, we'll do it together. Right, class. Five times five is? Twenty-five times four is? A hundred times ten is? A thousand times a hundred is? So we get to 100,000. Correct. Now, if at the first sum you had said 30, 5 times 5 equals 30, right? So we'll go with 30. Then I'll say 30 times 4 is? 
120 times 10 is? 1,200 times uh, 100 is? 120,000. The further on we go, the further away from the answer we get. Do you see? So if we say, you know what, I'm fine. I'm not going to go back to any of that stuff. I'm not going to deal with that disappointment. God stands, God's on the throne. Hallelujah, brother. I'm fine, really. Don't bring any of that inner healing nonsense. What C.S. Lewis would say is, fine, but the longer you leave this, the further from the answer you're going to get. The more you're going to find yourself transferring your pain into every relationship, situation, circumstance and scenario you find yourself in. That sounds extreme, doesn't it? But that's only because we're sitting here, uh, not gangsters, addicts and uh, criminals necessarily. I don't know, I can't speak for all of you, but I imagine you're not. And so it's less conspicuous to us, isn't it? We polish it so we don't think that's the reality. And that's the pernicious lie that Satan would do. That if you can polish that turd long enough, then you can trick yourself into thinking, I don't care, I don't need to go back to where that came from, because frankly I'm fine. And what the Father's saying to you is, you're 20,000 out. Let's turn to John 21. How long do you normally go for? I should have asked this at the beginning. When you stop. Sure, but roughly... Okay. So if we go for 20 more minutes, is that... If we, if we end at 12.30, are people okay with that? Anyone who isn't, please feel free to leave. Like, not now, not as in I'm throwing you out, but as in whenever, whenever, you, whenever you need to. Like, honestly, there's no, no pressure from me. I just want for us, for about 10 minutes, to look at this, some of the principles of healing in this chapter and then for us to actually activate that together in ministry, okay? John chapter 21. Okay, so this is called, according to my NIV Bible, Jesus and the Miraculous Catch of Fish. I would rather title it, Peter Deals with His Pain. It's like that, you know, in John 8, where it's um, uh, the title that someone, probably a man, has given to the, um, uh, the story of, uh, well, it's called The Woman Caught in Adultery. And I heard someone say, it should really be the religious leaders caught with stones in their hand. Right? And so, we can, it's quite a fun game. You can go through it, just retitling all the different stories in your Bible. <laughs> that stuff isn't even inspired by God. That is people putting that in so feel free to change that all you want okay so this is the third time I'm not going to read the whole thing but the story is basically the disciples are fishing they're professional fishermen they've been doing it for ages they didn't do it for three years why? because they were busy following Jesus what do they do the moment Jesus die? they go back to their old life they go back to what they know not an immoral thing to do, it's a fairly logical thing, but interesting for us to notice how easy it is to go back to things we know and the comfort that we find in that when we may be feeling far from Jesus. Um, this is actually the third time Jesus appears to his disciples. So again, we sometimes need him to just repeat that same thing again, don't we? Sometimes we'll want a prophetic word. Oh, me, me! And he's just saying, you know what? Your prophetic word is do the last prophetic word you got. 
Otherwise, we end up fat and bloated in the spirit. So, a relapse of sorts. The disciples were fishing. They'd caught nothing all night. And then this slightly uh, cocky stranger standing on the shore says, put your nets on the other side. And they go, duh, do you not think we thought of that? Fine, we will do it. And they catch. Anyone know how many fish? It's in the text. Anyone know off the top of your head? 153 fish. Large fish. How do we know they caught 153 fish? Right. Can you imagine the hilarity when they have drawn in these nets? And like, oh my days, this is crazy. And you can imagine them laughing. By the time they get to over 100, they're like, 101, 102, that's a stone, 103. And you imagine that 153 flipping hair. That's more than I've got in years and years. And you can imagine the moment. You can imagine the moment when the disciple, verse 7, who Jesus loved, said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he jumped out of the water and swam to Jesus as fast as he could. John, the disciple who loved Jesus, or who Jesus loved, that's John, was intimately familiar with Jesus. He goes, Hang about. That's exactly like what Jesus would do. He was so familiar with Jesus, he might not even be able to see him properly from the shore. Because that's the Lord. That's classic God, that is. He was intimately familiar with Jesus. And then Peter, what does he do? Jumps in and swims to shore. John's intimately familiar. Peter is desperately hungry. I've got to be next to him. I've got to be near him. I want to be where you are, Jesus. He had missed him. What about you? Do you ever miss Jesus? Sometimes? I feel like that might be a word for some of us. I really miss Jesus. A lot of activity, but I just miss proximity, intimacy, closeness to Jesus. My prayer is that you will find that. And I really think some of you are going to find that intimacy and that proximity and that tender vulnerability, unguardedness, actually at the um, church weekend soon. There's just something about going away, giving God your whole weekend and just letting him do whatever he wants to do. And Jesus starts handing out um, fish. He started a little fire and he starts um, cooking it. And um, it says, um, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it. And Jesus said to them, verse 10, bring some of the fish you have caught. Well, we just read that there are coals with fish on it. Why does he need some of the fish they've caught? Jesus wants what you've got to offer. He wants to involve you in this thing. It's not just laying it all out on a plate. He wants, he wants to co-labor with you. Whatever it is you've got, you don't think it's very impressive or whatever. He says, bring me one of those fish. Let's fry it together. Simon Peter climbed ashore. They had 153 fish and the net wasn't torn. Come have breakfast, Jesus said. No one dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And you can imagine them just joking and laughing and all the rest of it around them, around Jesus. You can imagine it. But in verse 15, Jesus addresses Peter directly. You can imagine Peter, right? And the stuff that came up in Peter. He smells the coals burning. And it takes him back immediately to the last time he was sitting close 
to a fire warming his hands that night that he betrayed Jesus three times, more and more vehemently each time. And it brings immediately back, this spirit of shame just takes over the time he denied his Savior. And you can imagine him just going silent, just withdrawing, just isolating from the group slightly, sitting on a rock over on the side. And as Jesus hands out the bread and the fish, you can imagine another memory coming up in Peter as he's sitting there already feeling shame. Oh, remember that time Jesus multiplied the fish and the bread. And we told him we didn't have enough money in a year and he just did it like that. And again, shame sweeps over him, thinking, how could I have betrayed such a good friend? He stays silent. He leaves his fish and bread. He doesn't even eat. Jesus obviously recognizes and sees this. And in verse 15, he addresses him with a straight naught to hundred question. Not a, hey, what are you feeling? Here's a feelings wheel. Pick one. What are you feeling? He just says, Simon Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Peter was living with a deep, specific wound around shame and betraying the closest person to him. Jesus knew all about it. He didn't hold it against him. And he didn't judge him for it. Jesus had a bespoke, tailor-made, personal healing and deliverance plan for Peter, his dear friend. How many times did Peter betray Jesus? Three, good one. How many times does Jesus ask him, do you love me? I don't know him, do you love me? I don't know him, do you love me? I don't know him, do you love me? There was a symmetry in the healing. There's an undoing of each one of those memories. And it's a beautiful deliverance. It's a continuation of Peter's inner healing process. And in the moment, he goes from being a wet blanket sitting by a fire to being the rock that Jesus had prophesied would be the rock on which he built his church. Have a look at verse 18 if you've got your Bibles. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Weird. I thought prophecy was to strengthen, encourage and comfort. Peter ended up being crucified upside down in AD 65 by the Emperor Nero. What happens when you're led to the cross? You'll stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and you'll be led somewhere you don't want to go. Jesus was foretelling the way Peter was going to die. Isn't that hectic? As Tertullian says though, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. 
And guess what other prophecy Jesus had given Peter before that? On this rock. I know in Latin I sang it, Tu es Petrus and edificabo ecclesia meam. You are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. He had prophesied that and the disappointment or the tragedy of the way Peter died was redeemed by the first prophecy that that would be the very way that the church would be built because the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Do we get this? This is like a friggin' sacred moment going on here. And what does Peter do? Peter turned and saw that the disciple who Jesus loved was following them. Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? (laughs) Anyone else struggle with comparison? (laughs) What about him? Comparison and insecurity? Ring a bell? And Jesus says to him, what does he say? Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. And so then a rumor spread, obviously, that John... Uh, wouldn't die, etc. But that wasn't what Jesus meant. Lots of rumors spread about what Jesus meant that aren't true. But that, that, was, that was a pivotal thing. Jesus said, listen, you must follow me. Each one of us has a unique individual calling. Each one of us, if we turn to the left and the right and compare ourselves with others, are going to miss that. Who receives the well done of heaven? It's the good and the faithful servant. What is it that Jesus is looking for when he returns on the earth? Faith. So what does that mean success looks like? Success is faithfulness to what God has asked you to do. No one else, no dilution, no compromise, no neutral ground, you could say. Right? Fast forward a couple of weeks later. Acts chapter 2. Pentecost. The fire of the Spirit is falling all around. These previously unschooled, ordinary men who had been with Jesus and are stoking the fire of revival that Jesus said would happen, built on what? The rock that is Peter, who's had his three-time deliverance from his shame issues. As um, There's an amazing Hillsong song called uh, uh, King of Kings. And it, and it tells really the creation story from uh, year zero all the way up to the church being birthed. And it said, the church of Christ was born and the Spirit lit the flame. And it was like, Phew. you imagine being there at Pentecost. And who was there preaching that friggin' humdinger of a sermon? Peter. The wet blanket became a rock. What about you? What about us? Peter felt ashamed. He was holding trauma deep, deep down. He was feeling a bit aimless. He had just gone back to what he had known before Jesus. Struggling with comparison. Relapsing into old lies and behaviors. And was a little too proud to admit any of it. Take your pick. What does God have to say to you? What does he have to say to us? He said, 
I can use all of that. I can use it all if only you'll give it to me to transform. You don't need to hold it. Give it to me. I will do glorious things with your pain. We've all got pain. From Manenberg to Dubai to Hong Kong to London, from gangsters to CEOs to accountants to pastors, all of us are carrying this pain, like Peter was. And Jesus is saying to each one of us, I have a healing journey for each one of us, each one of you. And it will turn you from that wet blanket that you feel to the rock on which I will build the next chapter of my church. Your deepest worldly loss can become your greatest eternal victory. So, can we, can we get a bit of piano just tinkling in the background? Just a little, little bit of that. You know, the, um, the emotional manipulation that we love? <laughs> really rile people up, get people crying. I'm saying that because I don't want anyone to feel manipulated. And it can happen. If we keep ignoring that we've got the sums wrong, we will get further away from the answer. Further away from our calling. If we only admit the level of disappointment and brokenness that we're carrying... And I don't want you to feel pressured to come up with some dysfunction you don't have in order to have a prayer time. That's not it at all. All I'm saying is that if we have a sober-minded view of ourselves, only then are we able to give it to Jesus to transform. C.S. Lewis also said, any person who doesn't think they're conceited is the most conceited. The one thing about pride is that it tells you you're fine, really. It's another one. I'm just ticking them off in my own brokenness. So I stand here today as someone who hasn't nailed this, who sweats and gets nervous when giving prophetic words, who is currently in a season of disappointment, knowing that we're lingering, these words are lingering, but we're not seeing the fulfillment of them just yet. We know they will come. But my goodness, it's bringing up stuff in me. So hear this, I'm standing here preaching to myself this morning. And what I'd love to do is um, maybe, like, like we did just earlier, I don't think we can necessarily get loads of people up here. Um, what I'd like is, um, how about this? I'm going to call out a couple of things. And, and those of us who are saying, yeah, I would love a bit of prayer for that. Try and find an aisle and stand in the aisle. And there are people who... Are, do you want to get people up here? Okay, aisle or up here. Neither's more holy. And um, we're just going to hit a couple of these different things. Um, the music's going to keep playing. It's good for covering uh, other noise, not to manipulate. So let me just pray, and then we'll go from there, okay? Holy Spirit, we believe you're speaking. We can feel your presence. We know you're safe. 
And we know that you've called each one of us to a unique contribution to your great commission. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would speak to each one of us, not about how bad or sad we are, that's not the point, but about an area of our life that if we're really brutally honest, we know we need you to break into. Or maybe even it's a memory of something that we've buried under the carpet that we've tried to hide through frantic activity or success. We just pray, Holy Spirit, that you bring that up. Could you all stand? Could everyone stand? And if, um, if you sense just, if you sense the Father doing something in you, if you sense even just an invitation that you're not necessarily feeling but want to uh, cooperate with the Spirit work in you, can I invite you now? Come stand in an aisle. Come up to the front even. If you want, take one of those kneelers you can bring. They're great for kneeling on. If you want to stand on the pews, feel free. But I think this is a holy moment where God wants to uh, meet with you a transaction of tenderness where he's saying bring that to me and I'll transform it I can use anything I can win with any hand you give me come up and we've got people who will pray for you come up as long as there's space at the front come up and if you're someone who likes praying for people come and pray help me out here and those of you who are still in your seats You can either pray for the people at the front. You can sit and soak. You can ask God for a word for somebody. But let's just, and if you need to go, please feel free. No pressure to stay. But those of us um, up here are going to just do some, um, do some praying and some, some freedom. Alrighty? So I'm going to turn this off now, but that's, uh, everyone's got their uh, instructions. And we'll keep playing.